Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Pastor David Otua, who is a church planner in Chicago partnering with COTV. He is preaching from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I also want to note that there were some issues with the recording of this week's sermon. We apologize for the poor audio quality for this week's podcast and hope that we can return things to normal for next week. I want to start with a reading um, from something I titled, From Within the Walls. The men left first. It was necessary for them to grab their tools in order to cut down the palm branches. It was hard to miss the nervous energy in the air. Even the kids were clinging to their cloaks tighter than they usually do. Cloaks that were soon going to be used to litter the ground where he walked. They wanted to make sure that they greeted him like royalty as was their custom. After all, despite how controversial he was, uh, there was no doubt that this was a great honor for his city, for their city. His visit started as rumors. They weren't sure if it was going to be true, but people had spotted him in the distance coming with a great crowd. And so it was necessary for them to hurry with haste to prepare their preparations for his arrival. Before long, they began to hear the large procession grow closer and closer. And finally, there he was in the front in all his glory and splendor. They grabbed their recently cut palm trees, rather waving it. They threw down their cloaks and they cheered. Pontius Pilate, welcome back to Jerusalem. Not everyone knew that Pilate often visited Jerusalem during some of their major Jewish festivals. He often said it was to celebrate with them, to show solidarity right, that, that Rome had with their Jewish customs, but they suspected that there was a little more to it than that. They suspected that Rome wanted to ensure that they didn't get any funny ideas as they celebrated the Passover. The Passover, of course, God freeing them from the enslavement of Egypt. There was no mistake that when Pilate came, he did so with an army large enough to remind them of Rome's power, perhaps to remind them of their place. But still, they were hopeful. They wondered out loud if he would visit the temple. After all, they had swept the floors, and the gift shop was running a discount for the festival. They welcomed him, and they smiled. But deep down, they think that Pilate knew the truth. While they honored and respected his authority, many of them despised him. Many despised Rome for what they did to their once great nation. They were longing for the time where they would be free from the thumb of their tyranny. But despite this sentiment, 
Pilate must have also known that many of the Jewish people had to admit that they had benefited from their collaboration with Rome as well. I mean, the Roman leaders had helped establish and back a lot of the high priests. In fact, Caiaphas, who was currently serving there, would serve for 18 years, appointed by Rome. And they were always rewarded quite handsomely. The Jewish people in the crowd had to admit that many of them had become rich in the last several years because of their loyalty to Rome. They had received land and prestigious jobs among their own people, not to mention increased patronage from the taxes and the tithes that were going to the temple. In fact, in many ways, the temple had now become central to the economic system, both in Jerusalem and its neighboring cities. And the chief priests and elders, they were, they were clever enough to leverage its importance to create economic boom in the city. Pilate knew how much Rome helped establish a Jewish elite in Jerusalem. But still, he must have also known that there were many who still longed for a king of their own. What he did not know yet was many of these same people in the crowd had already found their king, and he was coming only a few days later. In fact, even as Pilate's celebration was happening, the crowd was already secretly planning a counter-procession. It couldn't be quite as large or as loud as this one. They didn't want to write arise or arose? Rome's suspicion. I don't know where it goes. They would probably have to greet him in a different part of the city, but make no mistake about it, the people were ready. The Galilean from Nazareth was coming. And it was getting harder and harder for them to contain their excitement. Oh, they had heard many suspicious yet wonderful rumors about the miracles that this man was doing. The last one in particular, the, the last one that he had raised somebody from the dead. Now, that's just crazy. But if it's true, he must be the Messiah, right? Somebody from the dead? That's crazy. He, he must be the one that they've been waiting for. In many ways, he was as controversial as Pilate, but at least he was Jewish. And ultimately, even if he didn't leave the revolution like they hoped, perhaps he could at least spark something in the nation that would finally free them from the chains of Rome. So they hoped, and they waited. And just a few days later, they got back to work. Men cutting down Branches from palm trees, women preparing the cloaks, children playing and singing, trying to be helpful, but not really helping that much. Some of them had gone ahead early to actually meet the Galilean. Well, to be honest, not just him, but Lazarus, the guy that they heard was dead and is now alive. They wanted to see if it was true what they heard about him. And the early reports back to the city were pretty promising. There's no way to confirm for sure whether he was dead or alive, but it was clear he was walking and talking to them now. That must mean something, right? Even the biggest haters began to wonder out loud, can it be? 
Is this man who we've been waiting for? After all, we've never seen a man who talked like he did. Not since the time of the old prophets has anyone done the kind of things that this man is doing. So their hope and their excitement grew more and more palpable as time went on. It's true, his journey was taking a little longer than it should have. He had a reputation of being kind of late, this guy. You know, he moved slowly through the villages that he passed through. But maybe it was actually to their advantage for him to arrive later. Once again, it would help them avoid the watchful eye of Pilate and his troops. But as morning became afternoon and afternoon became evening, the crowd began to grow a little restless. At this point, the crowd had already lost about a third of its people, and those remaining began to wonder if this man from Nazareth had somehow evaded them yet again. He did have quite the ability to become extremely difficult to find when the crowd wanted to see him the most. But just as their patience was beginning to run thin, there was a report that he had arrived. He was at a gate they didn't expect. It wasn't the front gate like Pilate came. It was like a side gate to the west. And they were surprised they didn't hear him coming like they had heard Pilate. But when they looked out, they saw that the number of people around him were much smaller than Pilate had. He was a decent size, but a little less impressive than they were hoping. And if they were honest, so was he. His cloak and his hands were dirty. He seemed a little shorter than they remembered from last time he had been to Jerusalem. But, but none of that mattered, right? I mean, he was the beacon of hope that they had long waited for. It didn't take long for their excitement to reawaken, and they, uh, they weren't sure who started it, but there began to be a chant, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some in the crowd called him the king of Israel. Others called him the descendant of David. Can you imagine that? David, the king who through his great military might had eliminated and subdued all their enemies. David who had liberated them just like they now wanted to be liberated. Hosanna, glory in the highest. He's here now to rescue them, to reestablish their great nation, to build back their kingdom as God's true chosen people. Blessed is he. Blessed is our coming kingdom. It's true he wasn't quite what they expected. He didn't come with troops. Uh, he didn't come with weapons. Well, Lazarus was there, right? I mean, if he could raise a man from the dead, surely he could, like, conjure up some weapons. Like, that's a strange thing. Right? He could conjure something up, some spears or a shield or something, right? So some in the crowd began to maintain this hope and even imagine out loud the riches that were awaiting them. 
Perhaps they will actually plunder Rome like their fathers had plundered Egypt when they left. Perhaps they would have shekels and land like they had never seen before. Land flowing with not just milk and honey, maybe some fruits and vegetables as well, you know what I'm saying? So they continued to chant and cheer as Jesus made his way through the crowd. And they carefully watched him. They were, they were curious what his first tactical move would be. But as they watched, he simply uh, went to the temple. He quickly looked around. And he left, saying he was going to Bethany, a couple miles away from their city. I guess it made sense. It was late, so perhaps, you know, they were having too much expectations for what he would do the first night. And so they went to bed, still excited, still hopeful for the coming days. Make no mistake about it. They were ready for a revolution. They're ready for violence, to fight, to take back what was rightfully theirs. They were ready for this prophet from Galilee to lead a confrontation in the morning. And they were right. He did have a confrontation. But it was not with Rome. It was with them. I guess when he entered the temple courts the night before, he didn't really like what he saw because the next morning he flipped tables, he kicked benches, and he ushered many of them out who were buying and selling sacrifices in the temple courts. He was saying something that was hard to understand about it being a house of robbers. They were confused. This was their custom in the court. This is what they were used to. If they weren't allowed to buy doves and cattle, then how else could they show their devotion to God? How else could they receive forgiveness from Him? How else can they maintain the economy of Jerusalem? What is this man doing? They're not his enemies. Rome is. Shouldn't he be strategizing with the temple leaders, not arguing with them? Shouldn't he be aligning himself with the important members of the city? Rather, he's constantly hanging around those peasants. He was going about this all wrong. Where was his army? Where was his military strategy? Where, where was the conjuring of the weapons? Where was their revolution? Maybe what the chief priests and elders have been saying about him were true. Perhaps this man was a fraud, misleading the most vulnerable, claiming to be the Messiah, but seemingly only offering his salvation to the sick and to the poor. The disappointment only grew deeper as the week went on. And it didn't take long before it grew into anger. There were soon reports that this man from Nazareth had been arrested by a detachment of soldiers from the chief priests and Pharisees. And so the crowd gathered again. They were curious what would happen. When he eventually stood in front of Pilate just a few days after his arrival, they saw him beaten. 
and battered for his blasphemy against the temple and God. Pilate asked him what he should do with this man from Nazareth. And when they thought back at the excitement they once had, the, the vigor in which the men were cutting the branches, the yearning and the chanting for war and revolution, they were filled with a renewed sense of bitterness and resentment towards this man. Bitterness towards the end of their dream. They had called him their king. They had called him the second coming of David. Well, that seems ridiculous now. Pilate, the face of Roman oppression, asked them again, what should I do with this man? And led by their temple leaders in their moment of resentment and grief, they started a new chant towards him. Crucify him, they yelled. Crucify him. What a disappointment his entry into Jerusalem had become. Now from outside the walls, the men went first. They were leaving Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, and the crowd was still buzzing about what had just happened. Bartimaeus, a man who was blind, had just received his sight. He had been begging on the road as, as they were passing, and, and, and he was crying out for mercy. And they have to admit that at first they quieted him. I mean, they were in a hurry. They were on a great pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but he kept yelling and yelling and crying out for mercy. And although the crowd ignored him, Jesus heard. He told a few of them to bring the man who was blind, so they ran to Bartimaeus, and he told him, cheer up, get on your feet, Christ is calling you. So he told him, Bartimaeus told them later that when he went to Jesus, he asked him only one question. He asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responded, Rabbi, I want to see he could tell that Jesus was smiling as he said, Go. Your faith has healed you. Of course, he had nowhere to go. So he decided to join the ever-growing crowd of pilgrims who were following Jesus outside the walls of Jerusalem. Hearing his retelling of the story brought tears to their eyes. Although the miracle of Lazarus was more popular, this story hit home. In a lot of ways, Bartimaeus was just like the rest of them. This crowd of outcasts who had been lost. Many of them had ailments before they met Jesus, and some of them still did. Hearing Bartimaeus go on and on about the new sensations and emotions he was now feeling reminded them of their first encounter with the Lord. For a lot of them, though, visiting Jerusalem came with conflicted feelings. Some in the crowd had been driven from their lands by the Romans, and it was given to people who were once their brothers and sisters within the walls. 
the lines were becoming clearer and clearer who was considered valuable and who would remain outsiders like them. They were from common families. They had little to no ties to Rome. They had nothing to offer. Yet despite all this, they couldn't help but feel somewhat intrigued, if not excited, about returning to their once holy city again. This time was different. This time they were with Jesus. He usually rebuked or discouraged any exuberant declaration of his majesty, but there he was, riding on a donkey, leading them like a king. And they weren't quite sure what he had prepared. They weren't quite sure what was going to happen when it got to Jerusalem. But having been with Jesus this long, they felt at peace. Their arrival to Jerusalem was delayed as it usually was. Jesus was constantly stopping to teach them and check on the most elderly among them. His little young disciples were doing their best to emulate their leader by constantly uh, wading through the crowd and making sure people were, you know, well-fed and encouraged. About a day's trip before, uh, they knew it. They looked up and they saw the walls again. They had arrived. To their surprise, they were joyfully greeted by a crowd within the walls. They had even taken time to cut palm trees and to lay their cloaks ahead of where Jesus was walking. I thought they only did that for Pilate. Those from outside the city weren't used to such a ceremony surrounding them, so they smiled and, and they laughed. And one of them even began to chant, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Before long, the whole crowd was chanting. Some called him the king of Israel. Others called him the descendant of David. Can you imagine that? David, the king who through his devotion to the Lord had sought justice for the poor and vulnerable, just like them. Hosanna, glory in the highest. Here is Jesus to rescue them, to unite them to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, to reestablish the great nation as a beacon of God's love. The cheering and the chanting continued as Jesus told his disciples he wanted to go to the temple. And once he's finished, he led them to Bethany, saying they would return in the morning. Still brimming with joy from their arrival, this crowd of pilgrims went to bed, excited and hopeful for the coming days. Make no mistake about it. They were ready for a revolution. They were ready for peace, for shalom. That, that word shalom in their culture, it meant wholeness. Everything being as it ought to be, they were ready for Jesus to usher shalom in the morning. And they were right. They watched in awe and slight amusement as Jesus had concocted a whip and it was using to drive out sheep and cattle and money collector and coins from the temple's outer courts. He said he was cleansing the temple that they had turned his father's house into a market. And while the surprise and anger of those within the walls were evident, it made sense to them. You see, they were devout in their faith. But man, it had become very hard for them to make these sacrifices and make this trip to Jerusalem. Through Rome's influence, 
the, the doves and the cattle had become more expensive than they could afford. And the religious leaders were never that kind to them. They seemed to take advantage of them. In many ways, the temple had become a symbol of how ostracized that they were with their former brothers and sisters. Besides, didn't Jesus say something about no longer needing these sacrifices, no longer needing to make this trek anymore? Didn't he say something about them having direct access to the forgiveness and presence of God through him? As they were processing this, Jesus joined them again after a small argument with the temple leaders. By now, Bartimaeus had made his way through the city, telling anyone who would listen what Jesus had done for him. And oops, because many who were blind, many who couldn't even walk, to come to Jesus right there in the temple. And he took the time to heal them. Even the children who were unable to understand how their parents had just been rebuked and driven out were still singing the songs from the previous day. Hosanna to the son of David, they were saying. Maybe this is what it's all about. The temple being restored, the sick being healed, children singing. Perhaps this is a picture of the kingdom that he was saying he wanted to establish. Maybe God's plan was bigger than simply overthrowing Roman rule. A few days later, the crowd of pilgrims woke up to commotion, weeping, screaming, panic. Jesus had been arrested in the middle of the night. It didn't take long before he was standing before Pilate, who had just arrived a few days before they did. By now, the crowd of pilgrims had significantly decreased. Even the closest disciples of Jesus had scattered. The few that remained stood in stunned silence as they saw their beloved teacher barely standing, having been severely beaten and battered for his liberation of the temple. Pilate asked them, what he should do with Jesus. And as they thought about their compassionate friend who had seen them when for so long they had gone unseen, who had heard them when for so long their voices were unheard, who had spurned the rich and the powerful of the big cities in favor of their unimpressive villages and towns. As they thought of this with tears in their eyes, they begged Pilate, release him. But to their horror, their voices were drowned out by the angry crowd within the walls, now chanted, crucify him. How quickly had their faith in Jesus dissipated? The crowd within the walls now shook their heads and clicked their tongues, saying, man, we had hoped that he was a king who would free us. The pilgrims wondered how they could not see that that was exactly who he was. Jesus had freed so many of them from the bondage of shame and guilt, from feeling like they were unlovable by God. Many of them were once filled with anxiety 
when they thought about the presence of the Lord, I'm sorry, nothing. But if God was anything like Jesus, then it meant that he was patient and he was kind and their worry and anxiety had turned into peace. Shalom. There's that word again. Wasn't it Isaiah who said that the Messiah would be a prince of peace and no one had given their soul rest quite like Jesus? If he was not their savior, who was? Crucify him. Again, the angry crowd yelled. As the Roman soldiers led him away, the crowd from outside the walls <clears throat> reflected back on their arrival to Jerusalem just a few days ago. They remembered the excitement, the hope that they had felt as they joined in the cheers and celebration of their long-awaited Savior. Maybe the same God who helped Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead will somehow now rescue him from the grasp of death as well. They didn't know for sure, but they wanted to at least close their eyes and feel that faith again, feel that hope again. Picturing Jesus surrounded by them Misfits and outcasts, riding on a donkey, a symbol of peace. What a triumphal entry that had been. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.